Um, one of the things I love doing is meeting people. Um, I love getting around to meeting people. It's going to take me time to meet everyone in this church, let alone others within the community. Um, and I love meeting people in the community. I met people when I came to church and drove out to church and met a, th- a three-generation family all at once. And they said, are you David? I said, no, I'm Brian. Oh, are you the new minister? I said, yes. And they said, I thought your name was David. I said, no, that was the last minister. They said, yeah, we know that, but we thought your name was David. And we had this wonderful conversation. And, um, and they were saying great things. And it doesn't matter what my name is, really, does it? Um, as long as um, we're passing something of the spirit of Jesus um, to other people, it doesn't really matter what title we're given, even if it's unpleasant, it doesn't really matter whether in truth or false motives Christ, Christ is preached, uh, Paul says in Philippians. But anyway, um, and, um, I, and, and they said, oh, that's a great church. And they named a couple of people. And I thought, wow, that's what we need to be hearing. You know, oh yeah, we know that church. They may not, I don't know how, I don't know, maybe they're in this congregation this morning. I don't know. Um, I'm still trying to get faces and names all linked up. And, uh, but the beautiful thing was that they said, oh yeah, that, there's some great people in this church. And there is. There's some great people. I've met great people. I haven't met the nasty ones yet. I'm, I'm sure there's not any nasty ones. But there's often the one or two people in churches that, you know. Um, but hey, if we meet each other, we're going to be blessed by the Lord, okay, if you're in here. If you're not, thank God. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I better not dig myself too much of a hole. Um, but I, I've met um, several people, and one person I met, um, I felt really blessed by meeting them yesterday. And I, you know, one of the things I want to encourage is testimonies. And I met uh, Victor. Victor, I met um, last week, really, but we had some time together. And um, he's, he's shared with me his journey into this church, which is an amazing journey. Um, I, sorry if I can't know you by face at the moment, but Sue Fields, God used you in Victor's life, um, used Amy in Victor's life, used a Thursday cafe to, in Victor's life, used a Monday fellowship in Victor's life, and used Sunday for, uh, into Victor's life. And now Victor's got a wonderful testimony to share of where he was in this lonely, dark place to where he's being set free because of Jesus Christ in his life. So I want you to put your hands together and give him a lot of encouragement as Victor comes and shares. Come on, Victor. (laughs) It's amazing how God blesses us through each other. Um, and ha- your journey is, you know, m- miraculous. And God is constantly working his miracle in your life. Now, is that on? It's on, yeah. Victor, are you okay with that? Yes. Good. So tell me Hello, something of yes. what you were telling me yesterday. How you met Jesus, how you saw him face to face, how wh- where you were and what's changed since then. Well, about three years ago, I was sitting at home with my family and um, I was having a conversation with my son and my wife and I started to slur as though I was drunk. I can assure you I wasn't. But I started to slur and my son got a bit worried because he works in the hospital and he knows quite a bit about health. And and he said, is dad all right? And my wife said, yes, I think so. And he said to me, are you all right, Dad? I said, yeah, fine. I said, I'm slurring a bit, though. And he, 
He thought I was having a stroke. So he advised me to go to the doctors, which I did. And the doctor referred me to the hospital, Peterborough Hospital. And I saw a, a specialist there that um, was treating me. And he diagnosed it as he thought was Marcinia gravis, which is a blood disorder which attacks your muscles and your nerve ends. And that has what happened to me. And he referred me to Addenbrooke's, where I went for a three-day test and ended up in there for a month. The specialist diagnosed it as Marcina Gravis and started to treat me on drugs. Um, steroids was one of them, and there was one or two other drugs, which made me feel a bit uneasy, very uneasy, because steroids are not a good drug. They play hell with your body. But they've done the job. They put it into remission, which I am in now. And I said to the doctor, would it come back again? And they said, there's always a chance that it would. But such so far, touch wood, it's in remission, deep remission. I am now home, as you can see. But when I first came out, I could, hardly st I could hardly stand up. I couldn't get to the bathroom, the toilet downstairs or anything. I had to sort of feel for the wall and sort of shuffle my way along. And the amount of times I fell over was nobody's business. I, was, I fell down the stairs twice. <coughs> and um, there was nothing they could do at that point because my balance has just gone. But Sue, Sue my neighbour, who um, is very good with, with, a, with a family, and said to me, why don't you come to the CAF, the church CAF? And I umdenard about it because I just wanted to sit there. And I could feel myself going down that funny road of uh, depression. And... The doctor did treat me for depression. He put me on, on tablets. But I finally came around and did come to the church, CAF, which I now come on a regular basis, which got me involved with Monday Fellowship, which I come to regularly, and a Sunday morning service, which I come now. And... Since I've been coming, I've been very welcomed here. I think I've been accepted by Jesus. And I can walk better now. I get up with no problems. I still go a bit dizzy now and again. But coming here was the best thing I've done, was coming to the church. And it's got me going. And I've never looked back. And um, tell, us, tell us what you told me about. You were sitting in your 
armchair. Oh, it's coming to that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was sitting at home on a Wednesday, one Wednesday evening when my wife went out for dinner with my son, left me at home as they do, and um, I turned the television off for some reason. Now, that's not normally me. I normally watch a lot of sport and different things. But I turned it off, and I just sat there. And I could feel Jesus in front of me in that room. As true as I stand here, I could see him in that room with me, and I could feel him. And every day since, he's with me and he's guiding me. And I think that's a wonderful thing that God done for me. Amen. Millions, of, I am free from the hospital, uh, but I, I, I have a, the odd checkup now and again. But there's not a lot they can do with Marcy Gravis, just give you drugs. Unfortunately, because of what it is, it's a, it's a blood disorder that attacks your muscles. And once your balance goes, it basically goes. I'm hoping to get a lot of it back, which I am doing slowly. But if I hadn't come to the church and hadn't got Sue to bring me, I would have gone down that silly road of depression. And that's not a, not a nice road to go down. So through, through Sue... Yes. Jesus brought you yes. home yes. and set you free and is setting you free and making you well again. He is indeed. Amen. Let's pray for you. He Let's is pray. indeed. Let's pray. Come on, round of applause. Yeah. Bless you. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Victor. I thank you for him opening himself up to the mystery of your touch, to the mystery of your voice, to the mystery of your light, and bringing him in to your kingdom and revealing to him your spiritual blessings and your healing hands on his life. May he continue to be set free. May he continue to increase in health. And may you remove this disease from him in Jesus' name. And may he be able to play golf again, but even better this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Golf is one of your passions, isn't it? <laughs> Can I just say one thing? Thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much for everybody that's involved in this church that's helped me along. I thank you and I thank God. Amen. And I know he will be with me for a long, long time. Thank you all. Amen. Well done. Thank you. Well done. You've done well. <laughs> this is our God, isn't it, eh? This is what our God does. And he chooses to use us, ordinary people, with differences, God is a good God. So let's continue looking at how good God is as we look at Genesis chapter 4. Okay, We're going to um, fly through um, the text because um, from this text I believe God has uh, given me a particular message for us. 
and um, it's, quite, um, it's quite visual, so we're going to fly through this, if that's all right. I need to switch that on again. Um, just as a point of reference from last week, we talked a bit about um, what is the modern-day tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and um, some people said the internet. Well, I can, I can encourage you that this is um, a prophetic word from Psalm 66, verse 11, as um, the psalmist wrote, you brought us into the net. It says in the NRSV version. So there you have it. It's right there from back then. So um, we got a PowerPoint coming up. Is that, have I got to do something else here? Oh, it's up there. Oh, it's up there. I couldn't see it in front of me. Oh, so I'm getting carried away here. Um, oh, can, can you go to my first one? My first slide, please. Sorry, I was looking up there and it's a blank screen. So... Um, so you're starting to get the PowerPoint before I um, can. Now, the, what's happening here is we're shifting from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4, obviously, and the new agenda is in full swing. We have Genesis 4 where... Um, I'm going to go back a little bit um, to the... Um, oh, no. Wait, hold on. Let me just get to the beginning of my PowerPoint, and you're going to see all the bits that I don't want you to see just yet, but that's fine... Um, it's great when the plan doesn't come together. First blood, Genesis um, chapters 4, verses 1 to 16, <coughs> um, where we know the story all too well. So the danger is, is that we focus on just the words that we're all too, f- too familiar with. But um, we've got two points, really, that we're going to look at. The first blood, which is the account of Cain and Abel, a little uh, sort of Bible exposition, if you like, a little bit shorter than I anticipated, but um, we're going to fly through that. And we're going to look at the second part of self-preservation, part two. Um, I believe this is part of what God is saying. There is another section in this text from 17 to 26, talking about the the descendants of uh, Cain um, and the sort of civilization population increase. But we're going to skip over over that really. So the birth of Cain, verse 1. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Now this is the first specific mention of, if you like, sex in the Bible. The term knew or to know is a polite way of saying they had sexual relations, and the term is used in other parts of the Bible, in Genesis, Judges, and Samuel. Now, she bore... I'm going to keep having to look um, from here, actually. She bore him um, a son, Cain. I have acquired, one version would say, a man from the Lord. I'm sure that she must have thought, well, the Lord's blessing me with um, children, even though we have been expelled from the garden. Um, the word can, the name can actually mean I've got him or here he is. It is believed that um, Eve thought that Cain was the seed that God promised, the deliverer who would come from Eve. There is a sense in which Eve said, I have the man from the Lord. A man from the Lord is Eve having faith to believe that the little baby she would have would become a man. No baby had ever been born 
at this stage according to what we have in the scriptures. And again, I don't want to get down too literal on that. Some people have different perspectives and, and it's good to have those, to wrestle with those. Because the first 11 chapters of Genesis are a real challenge for us and we have to um, respect different perspectives on it because it is a mystery in many ways. So here is the first birth account. This is the, um, <coughs> where are we? Um, this is the first birth account of um, the, what we have in the Jewish context. Verses um, 2 to 5, let's move on. Tales of two sons. Um, next, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought the, to the Lord an offering of the fruit from the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance began to fall. This is a challenge in itself. We haven't got time to go into it. I encourage you at your connect groups to go through it. There's a second son is born. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And God had favour over Abel. Get your head around that. We don't get any account of um, what's gone wrong. I suppose we're left with, well, they, they sinned, mother and father sinned, and it's passed on. And there's, there's, there's distortion and there's darkness in, in everyone now because of that, wherever it began, whether you believe in two physical um, people of Adam and Eve or whatever you believe, sin is real. Um, and the serpent's agenda is in full swing and it's flooding through and evil starts to breed and people start to do stuff that wasn't God's will. Cain and Abel's story is a good example of where it all went wrong. But how and why is a real mystery. The Lord respected Abel and his offering. Why Abel over Cain? And there's all kinds of theories that you can play around with, but the Bible does not tell us. Now, Cain was the first son. He, he was given the, the job and the, the skills to till the ground. What's, root, what's wrong with fruit and vegetables as an offering against the, the fat of the, of the first um, animals from, from Abel's flock? What's going on here? Now, obviously, something was going on. I guess this story, um, this account, is more about um, us than it is the characters. What is it? What's our motives in everything? What's our motives in coming to church on Sunday? What's our motives in doing what we do in church? What's our motives for giving? What's our motives for serving? What's our motives for interacting and, and chatting to people? What's our motives in everything we do? Our motives behind meeting that perfect partner for the first time in your life. 
Then meeting that perfect partner the second time and the third time and however many times it took you to get to the actual perfect partner for your life who actually you find out after a little while they're not as perfect as you thought they were. And now you're finding out things that they, 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 they squeeze the toothpaste from the top of the, of the tube or whatever it is that's your thing or they leave their shoes in the hallway when you've got a lovely closet that's got shelves in it and you realise that they're not as perfect and it grates you and you can't let go. What is it that causes that to happen in us? That's more about me than anyone else actually, right? (laughs) It's the little things that get me, that wind me up and I have to find a way of preserving myself in the Lord so I don't allow those things to become mushroomed. Because they do, don't they? They do. And it's sin crying out to us to try to grab us. And this account is an all too familiar account of our lives. Let's not focus on the Cain and the Abel of then. Let's look at the Cain and the Abel of today. Let's move on because I want to do something with you guys that I hope you will um, benefit from. And this is God again. God engages with Cain and Abel. uh, With Cain. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. I don't know about you, but sin knocks at my door every single day of my life. And I have to, in the strength of the Lord, master it. Otherwise, I will suffer under it. Not only will I suffer... But you will suffer. My family will suffer. My neighbours will suffer. And it just goes on from there. It gets passed on. God doesn't condemn. God engages in conversation over accusation. We touched on that a bit last week. Again in chapter 4, God does it. He gives the opportunity for Cain to say, Sorry, Lord. I have sinned. I have done wrong. I am not in a good place. But he doesn't. He chooses to press on. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field, brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Starts off with that little resentment, that little bitterness, that little hatred that grows and grows and grows till it destroys and damages relationships. That's what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with the flesh and the blood. We're dealing with spiritual matters that creep up around us and within us before we can ever, ever imagine. So therefore we have to dress ourselves. There was a slide up there talking about dressing ourselves in the perfect tailor-made armour that God has prepared for us. But before we get on to that, let me just touch on um, verses 9 to 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? And again, he engages in conversation. He doesn't say, I know what you've done. God knows it anyway. He wants us to be repentant. I don't know about you, but when I repented in the Lord, it, oh wow, it ripped me apart because I realised, whoa, I've sinned so much and I didn't even realise it. I made excuses and cover-ups. And now I know that my cover's been blown 
And it just broke me. But it had to break me, because otherwise I could not be restored and reconciled and redeemed. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? (laughs) I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) What's it to do with me, Lord? And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? You know, when I walk home, get home, sometimes our dog gets in the bin. Have you ever had that? And uh, it's not until we get into the kitchen that we see the bin. And my dog's already lying down by the couch with her ears down. And I go, what have you done? And she's like, oh, and she rolls up on her belly, on her back like this, to be stroked on her belly. Both of them do, actually. They both do it. Submission. Um, And um, because they know that they've done bad. You've ever done that with your child? What have you done? And there's that sense of not me, nothing to do with me. And the Lord said, what have you done? And he says, listen, listen, can you hear it? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Can you hear that? Can you hear the blood of death crying out? We hear that all around us, don't we? The blood of death when people are just in a bad place, hurting other people. Verse 11, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. Now God's curse upon Adam, um, Cain. God, Cain, what does he do? He complains. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. He can't cope with the shame and the guilt. You know, I don't know about you, but when I look back at my life, I've carried some shame and some guilt that just weighs on me, and that's not ours. And Cain still refused to repent. Today you have driven me away from the soil, says Cain, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. But the Lord says, well, where am I? Yes, it was done the same passage. Then the Lord said to him, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Nobody knows what that mark is. Nobody really knows. You can only speculate. There's a lot of stuff not in there. And I think that's deliberate. It's not for us to try to second guess. It's us to enter into the story to say, how does this relate to my life? What is God saying to me in this? Well, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But sin kills us. We know that. One of the clearest marks of sin is almost innate desire to excuse ourselves and complain if we are judged in any way. One of the consequences of sin is that it makes the sinner pity themselves instead of causing them to turn to God. One of the first signs of new life is that the individual takes sides with God against themselves. You know, there's um, the, the blood of death cries out, but the blood of life also cries out in Jesus. 
And we've got that in, in our, obviously, New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, um, it reminds us that the blood is going to be shed. The blood of Abel spoke, and it spoke of judgment and death. The blood of Jesus also speaks, but of better things, of grace, of hope, of sin being dealt with, of redemption, of new life. Hebrews 12, 24 reminds us of some of that. But let's carry on. Verse 16, Cain moves away. He becomes a wanderer. He goes to the land of Nod, which means uh, the land of wandering. And then the story of civilization continues, um, the descendants of Cain. So what do I think God has said to me from this? Well, I, when I read this and I prayed over it, I thought, how do we arm ourselves against all the enemies attacked because we know the Bible reminds us that our battle is not um, against um, uh, each other. It is against the wiles of the devil. It is against the struggles of the enemy. It is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we have to arm ourselves in the full armour of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 17. You know it all too well. But I don't know if you've had the, um, the opportunity to um, have it as visual as I'm hoping to give to you this morning. And um, I've got my victim, I mean my volunteer to come um, to, where, where's my uh, volunteer? Marcus, we won't say, we won't use your second name as a, an example Marcus of... Marcus Dickius. Marcus Dickius, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, we're we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at Marcus Aurelius more than Marcus Dickius. Um, but you know, you know the story all too well. How, this this armour is tailor-made for each and every one of us. When I think of the armour of God, I don't recite this um, this text every morning, but I do clothe myself. I do dress myself. How have you dressed yourself this morning? How do you dress yourself every day? I have to dress myself spiritually. Otherwise, I know I'm going to get caught short um, in, the, uh, in the time to come. So, first of all, um, it talks about, and, and I'm not too convinced that Paul is necessarily got a, a clear methodical um, sort of process, but um, it talks about, can you just put that there so I don't look like I'm groping you or anything, because that could be a bit weird. Um, but he tells us to put on the what? Belt of truth. You know, um, I've worked with a lot of people that have found themselves in a lot of trouble over the years. Um, I won't do that because it might take time to come off. Um, but Paul reminds us to put on the belt of truth. You c- when, when somebody lies, it's all going to go wrong anyway. When one person lies, when you're trying to support one another, when you're trying to encourage one another, when you're trying to um, walk together in faith and unity... One lie will wreck it all, even if nobody knows that's a lie at the beginning. That lie has already set those people for failure. So when we put on the truth, the belt that holds the whole armour together, the belt of truth, we've got to live in truth. 
I, I used to say, when I, when I used to go down the police station as the responsible adult with a young pe- person, I used to say, look, I'm here and I will give you all my support. I will stay with you right through the night. I will stay with you come what may. I will find whatever support is necessary for you, whether you've done it or whether you haven't done it. That's not my concern. My concern is you tell the truth. Because I can't help you if you don't tell the truth. The minute I find you lie, I'm out of here. Because I can't help you. I am no good to you if you lie to me. So we've got to start on the basis of truth. Even if we've done something really wrong, start with truth. Because you can then build from that truth, no matter what the mess is. Never walk away from a mess. Just say, this is the way it is. I'm sorry. We're going to run over. Do do apologise. If you need to go, then then feel free to go. You would not um, offend me at all. I'm going to put this on because um, this is just a cloak. It's not the invisibility cloak of Harry Potter. um, uh, So we're not going to be start teaching um, that stuff um, by any means, but it just um, helps um, Mark look the the piece. Because what's the next part of the armour? Breastplate of righteousness. So can I have a couple of volunteers to um, help me put this armour on, or you can do it for me while I talk. Thank you very much. So that's the back piece. No, that's the front piece. Look at that. Mark, Mark is... Sally's going to be pleased with you, Mark. Okay. And then we've got another piece here. Thanks, Nick. There we go. If you can just buckle it up at the top, that'll be fine. The breastplate of righteousness. You know, doesn't he look sweet, eh? Oh, come on. That's what it's really like underneath, you know. Not that I've seen, by any means. Um, <laughs> he's looking the piece already, isn't he? If you can just hang around there, that'd be really good because I might need you for a little bit more help. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the breastplate of righteousness. Hold on. We've got, oh, thank you. You've got the verses up there. Um, it protects our hearts. You know, um, how often have you put your hearts in the trust of another person? whether it's your parents, whether it's uh, another person um, because you're building a relationship up with them, whoever it is, you know, sometimes we we don't realise where we're placing our heart. Um, And, you know, whatever's in our hearts comes out from in our mouths in the end. Um, But if we've got a broken heart, it's going to come out. But Jesus wants to um, heal our hearts. Jesus wants to protect our hearts. So we've got to walk in the righteousness of the Lord. The Lord's way. Not the church's way. Because often the church does get it wrong. Not the church's rules and regulations. But the Lord's way. The way of Jesus. If you're wondering, so what is the, the, the laws? It's the ways of Jesus. Simple as that. Look at chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, the Beatitudes that's the laws if you want to set a laws. If you, if you need some key points in the scriptures, go to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. does a wonderful um, book on, on this, um, The Cost of Discipleship. It is very costly, but it will protect our hearts if Jesus is the centre of everything we do. We've got to walk in the ways of Jesus. What's the next one, people? What's the next one? Shoes? Okay, I haven't, I have, I'm not going to take his shoes off. But, you know, in, in the passage it says... It says this, it says, um, um, verse 15, As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready. Ladies, whatever shoes, okay? This is what it's saying. Verse 15, 
Shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. So have as many shoes as you like, ladies and gents, all right? Have as many shoes. There it is in the scriptures, all right? Verse 15 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Now, um, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Wherever you go, wherever you tread, are you bringing a storm or are you bringing a a calm? Wherever you go, are you bringing the presence of God, the peace the praise, the power, the pleasures of our Lord. Where are you in that? Do you need to change your shoes? Okay, now uh, the next one. What's the next bit? What does it talk about? Anybody? Shield. Ah, oh, wow, well, let's see what we've got here. we got a, uh, yes, we got a shield. There we go. we got a shield. Look at that, eh? It's a bit heavy because it is, it is a full Metal Gear kit. Um, put on the shield of faith. Why put on the shield of faith? Because of the fiery arrows that come. You know, and what we say to one another is so important. So important. We can't say things and say them the same way as we say them to other people right across. We need to understand where we each are before we say something to each other. Because what we say penetrates right in here, right in here. And you can't see the impact it has until that person brings it out. You know, often people say to, to me, oh, that person, they're, they're in a bad place. They're, they're a nasty person. I ask, why? Why are they? Why are people getting so upset? Why are people unhappy? Why are people in a dark place? Why? What, what has led it? What has led them to that place? I want to be light, the light of Jesus. I don't want to be Jesus. I want to be an avenue, a channel, a vessel for his light so that their faith may grow in Jesus. And I don't want to say anything. I remember a a church member came into me one one, at a meeting and he said, have I upset you? I was like, well, no, no. No, not, not that I'm aware of. I would have told you if you've upset me. Well, yeah, yeah, you, you've been talking about me. I said, have I? I said, what? He goes, yes, yes, on Sunday, on Sunday. I said, well, I said, I'm confused. You need to, you need to explain to me. Because if I, if I have upset you, I need to apologise. You need to repent and apologise. And he told me of the situation. And I said, no, you read, you read that wrong. You read that wrong. I don't know why you read it that way, but you read it wrong. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking... I wasn't talking about you. I was talking to my wife about something completely different. But you just assumed. Why did you assume that? What led you to believe that? Something about where we are at, a time, at that time causes us to make all kinds of um, bizarre um, perspectives. Faith. Even if they are talking to me. Somebody said to me, Brian, I went to this church and the lady that left the church, she's, she's slandering your name. I said, praise the Lord, she's leaving other people alone. All right? So I'm happy. If you, need to, if you need to moan and groan about somebody, moan and groan about me because you'll leave somebody else alone. All right? I've given you permission. Okay, moving on because we have massively run out of time. Um, shield of faith uh, to quench all the fiery flaming arrows of the evil one. And the second to last bit, what is it? Helmet of salvation. Here it is. Helmet of salvation. If you can just help with that. I'll just get the other bit to hold the pume up. And um, then um, it's here somewhere. 
Um, here it is. Um, here it is, Nick. I'll, I don't know how much of an engineering mind you've got, but I'll leave you to work that one out. Okay? <clears throat> the helmet of salvation. Jesus is in you. Jesus is in you, Victor. Right? He is in you. He's in you. He's in, he's in every one of us. Jesus is in us. You have salvation. He died on the cross and says, It is finished. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You have salvation in and through Jesus Christ. The difference between those that know it and those that don't know it is exactly that. Those that know they're blessed by God want to live a life of gratitude. Those that don't know have yet to find out. And our job is to live a salvation life. Doesn't he look splendid? Doesn't it splendid? And we know the last bit, don't we? We know the last bit. What's the last bit? Sword. The sword of what? Spirit. Look at this. My word. There we go, Marcus Dickius. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. There we go. Now, now he's ready for battle, isn't he? The helmet of salvation. The sword. The, the word of God. It says in Hebrews 4.12, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what it does. Now, now what have I got to attack Mark to see how good he is at defending himself from all of these horrible arrows that come? All of these, look at that. Look, he's defended himself mightily. Look at that, yes. Yeah, come on, give him a round of applause. Those arrows. <laughs> Stand there for just one moment. Stand there for just one moment. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting carried away. I'm getting excited because God has given us this tailor-made armour. It's got a six-pack on it, all right? It's got pecs as big as you want them to be. It's got every protection you want. And we are to dress ourselves in that spiritual armour every day. Paul used this example because the Roman soldier was a terminator of the day, was a fighting machine, taught to, trained to fight up to at least six average men like you and I. He could take on and slaughter six ordinary men. And Paul uses that and transfers it to say, you can overcome absolutely anything because we can do all things through him that gives us strength, it says in Philippians 4.13. We have the spiritual blessings that come from heaven to arm us against all the spiritual attacks. And when you find yourself up against a, a brother or sister, don't let the devil get in the way. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. If you're struggling with anything in your life, just say, in Jesus' name, I rebuke it. And until it goes away, just keep saying, in Jesus' name, I rebuke it. In Jesus' name, I rebuke it. Because this is not of the Lord. The Lord has not brought division among us. He's brought unity among us. You know, in, in, in battle, um, soldiers, there's a full armour, we're going to skip over that, skip over that. In battle, soldiers would often stand back to back, so they've got a 360 degree coverage of one another. I've got your back, you've got my back. This is the passage in Romans chapter 1 verse 12, so that we may be 
mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. We, I got your back covered. I'm praying for you, brother. We're going to come together and we're going to walk together in ministry and mission and we're going to storm this nation and we're going to get rid of the evil in our churches, in our communities because the Lord is with us and we've got each other's back covered. I will be with you until the end. And bigger and stronger than that as we come towards our end is not just lifting each other up. Oh, sorry. There it is. Iron sharpens iron. You know, your connect groups. Don't underestimate connect groups. Don't underestimate them. Get in them. If you're not part of one, I encourage you to join. We're going to be looking at those for sure over the next uh, several months. But get into a connect group. Start another one up if you, if you want a different one. Because iron sharpens iron. The word of God sharpens us. Um, when we're together, we're like a turtle formation and nothing can penetrate us. When we're united in body, mind and soul, in the spirit, in the way of the Lord, nothing's going to penetrate us because we've got each other covered with that shield all around. So never underestimate the power of the church. It is the biggest voluntary organisation in the world. In the world. Because of faith. And it works better when we are energised by faith. Moses um, was lift, his arms were lifted up um, in battle. And as long as his arms were up, um, he, um, the battle was won. When we, if you can't physically be out there, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters of the, of the Lord, if you can't physically be out there, be prayer warriors. Get busy fighting in battle through prayer. Because we need ourselves lifted up because we're going to be under attack out there and we need those that are able to pray. So lastly, to finish off with, pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. For all the saints. Let us pray. Just invite the band back just to sort of finish us off with a little opportunity for people to respond. If you do feel you need prayer, then just raise your hand or go to the prayer corner. The prayer team will be there with you. It's an invitation to pray, asking for spiritual covering, a spiritual armour, a spiritual dress code that will enable you to go out from here dressed in the full armour of God to stand against the sin that has just come from however far back, from wherever it came from. The devil seeks to wreck us and God seeks to protect us. And he's built his church for us to stand together. Let God do business with us this morning before we leave this place to go and serve him in spirit and in truth.